Hello. Hello. And welcome to our new podcast, Let's Talk About Dreams. I'm Brandon Hogstead. And I'm Eleni Matthew. Today, we're going to share an interview with Eleni and our dear friend Aisha. She's a sexologist and sex coach. We know her from our friend circles here in Brooklyn, but she currently lives in LA. A friendship with Aisha grew in a very organic and funny way. We were introduced at a friend's barbecue, and then we started to see each other around at various events in the city. Like one day we would bump into her at an 8 a.m. Creative Mornings lecture, and later that week we would see her at a basement warehouse rave at 3 a.m. And we've shared many fun adventures since. The interview we're sharing today was a special conversation because Aisha actually appeared in one of my dreams and we got to share that dream with her. We ended up touching on some really powerful themes around how we present our true selves to the world, how much of our true selves do we reveal, how we choose to live our lives, whether we have true free will or whether our lives are dictated by societal pressures. Although we began this project back in 2020 during the early lockdowns in New York City, you can see that the themes are actually quite timeless. We hope you enjoy our first episode of Let's Talk About Dreams. This is a guinea pig run. We'll see if there's anything interesting. I've got my uh, hamster wheel and my little carrots ready. So great job, doing good work. <laughs> so you know, with my with my approach to dream interpretation, you know, we can talk through symbols and everything. And sometimes I'll I'll vocalize or I'll voice a, a certain interpretation or a certain idea. Mm-hmm. If you hear it and it resonates, then maybe there's some truth. If you hear it and it just kind of falls flat and you're like, no, that doesn't sound right, then it probably isn't right. Because ultimately, it kind of has to pass the gut check with you because it's your dream. Okay. I know that Lenny had an interesting dream. And then I'm dying to hear Brandon uh, evaluate. Interpreting. (laughs) Okay. At the start of this dream, I kind of have the sense that there's like a milestone event, like something happening around midnight. Brandon and I are kind of planning before we get to this event, like trying to meet up with you, Aisha. So like you kind of come up at the very like beginning. I kind of recall you telling us like, oh, you know, I think just before midnight would be best, like kind of implying that things are going to get crazy at midnight, which I think is what gave me the impression that it was New Year's Eve. We arrive at this party and it's in kind of like a giant hall, almost like Harry Potter esque, like really, really like grand hall, tall ceilings kind of vibe, like a really, really like large, like abundant room. We kind of see you from the other side of the room and you're walking with another friend. You're both wearing these red sequined capes. And they have like these giant red hoods and you kind of got the hoods over your your heads. I kind of say to Brandon, oh shit, like there's Aisha. Let's go follow her now because we might not be able to like find her later. We like enter this smaller room that you've walked into and it's like much quieter and there's like a banquet table and it's like covered in food, like completely covered. Maybe 10 or so people sitting at this table. I kind of get the sense that 
they're like your family members or like you and your friends' family members somehow. Um, I'm like, oh, what is this? Is this like a Muslim tradition? Which like, I don't know why that was what I said, but you're you're not Muslim, right? I don't know why I, this I was raised in a, in a Muslim household, but I mean, that makes sense. But that's funny that you didn't know that. That's I actually didn't know that. So that's actually really interesting that my subconscious somehow knew that. <laughs> <laughs> You're kind of like running around and like trying to prepare. You're kind of flustered and um, you say something to us like, oh, I wasn't like expecting that I would like need to do this and I would need to like feed all these people. Like I kind of get the sense that we're kind of just like interrupting and in the way. I'm like, oh, well, maybe we can find you later. And then you say something about, oh, like I'm also like meeting a partner later. As you say that, um, like someone walks in the room and it's like a really tall, voluptuous trans woman. Mm -hmm. And you like kiss on the mouth and kind of like feel each other up a bit. And then I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, like we're gonna go. And then it kind of like cuts to you and your friend getting changed and you get out of your red capes and you're wearing like, I think your friend is in black and then you're in white, but it's kind of like a sexy, like negligee thing. And I'm like, wait, I'm confused. Aren't you meant to be like serving food to your family? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that was a big, bit sexy. And then we go back into like this grand hall and then we end up in like another smaller room, but it's almost like an outdoor like beer hall. And then we start talking to people. Like I get the sense they're like people that I work with. Like I have a new job. I've been there for like a few months. And in my previous job, I was like very out like about non-monogamy stuff. I remember like having this conversation with someone that was like really confused because like I was talking about being with a woman, but then they were like, wait a minute, aren't you with Brandon? And like, what's happening? And like, there was just like this kind of like very awkward interaction that I had where I was like, not really sure how much information to like reveal and like how much of my personal life I wanted to share with um, this person that I like seemingly worked with. The scene kind of like ends there. fascinating mm. interesting <laughs> there's a lot to work with here. Um, what comes up for you may i ask that it's such a weird uh like now that we're in this lockdown situation like you know we, we've kind of been joking a lot about you know all of our spontaneous encounters mm -hmm. so like i do think it's interesting in the dream that i'm so like oh my god like we need to catch her now because we might like not be able to reach her later kind of thing. Like I think mm -hmm. that was interesting because like I think that's something I've been reflecting on. Like everything has just kind of been put on hold. Mm. And uh, and like, you know, like we were, we were like excited that we were like kind of like developing a little flirtation and, you know, it's like what happened? No, now like life has stopped. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so there's some interesting things going on here with color and costume. The red sequin cape that you see Aisha and her friend wearing, mm -hmm. uh, it's a cape with a hood. And then later on, there's a costume change where Aisha and the friend change to something kind of sexy. And one's wearing black and one's wearing white. Yeah. That's very striking to me. And I feel like this connects to alchemy because then in alchemy, there's like the reddening, the blackening and the whitening. The blackening is when something starts heating up and like it starts the process of change 
begins. Mm-hmm. The whitening is uh, the purification. The reddening is when it starts kind of charring and transforming and like how it becomes transformed on the other side. Well, going off of that, Brandon, I was just going to say with the family stuff, and I told you guys this, right? I told you guys I had a really like hard conversation with my parents. I mean, that's like about the extent we didn't know any other details than that. But yeah, I remember you saying last weekend. Yeah, that's so interesting then to like put that with the colors. And then you were like, but isn't this for your family? Oh, that's so interesting. I want to like think about that more. Yeah. So the trans woman, when she came in, like there was something like very striking and beautiful about her. Like, as like, I kind of described her as voluptuous. Like she was very like tall and like busty and like, uh, almost like comforting as well about her like presence, like like big mama kind of presence. But it's like, you know, she was very covered up. Like she had like this blazer on and it wasn't, she wasn't actually wearing anything that was sexy. If anything, it was like kind of like a trench coat vibe, mm-hmm. like very, very like conservatively dressed. Like afraid a little bit, like, like not owning the yeah. space or the thing that she she was representing. It felt like there was going to be like a reveal of some, or like there was going to be like a transformation of her appearance. Like it felt mm-hmm. like that wasn't real. Like it felt like she was vi- deliberately covering up. Mm-hmm. But it didn't really like go any further than that. It was just like, mm-hmm. like that was like a very split moment where she kind of came in. So I thought that that notion of transformation was interesting because mm-hmm. there's this this person walks in wearing a trench coat very covered up a trench coat is something you wear outside to protect yourself right mm-hmm. you saw this person with the notion of like okay they're going to reveal themselves mm-hmm. and not only that this is a trans person so literally a trans person over the course of their lives they transform their outward being from being one state of gender to an like a different state of gender mm-hmm. um either agender or transgender androgynous or femme or mask you know mm-hmm. so that notion of like the transformation of the external presentation to the world mm-hmm. to match um, the inside not only is that the beginning where it's the red cape you know the beginning of the transformation and also like this red cape sounds really fabulous right like, yeah it totally was and I the cape that. is also <laughs> well, I'm, I'm like I, in my mind it exists now <laughs> Like a cape is like a cloak, right? A ca- it's a covering, mm, um, you know, and it's, it ha- you said that it had a hood. So at the same time, it's, it's something, it's like the beginning of this transformation process. It's also still a covering. It's still like the first layer to come off, Yeah, you know, and her partner kiss, you know, that, that's like this union moment. There's this transition of masculine to feminine energy. And there's like this unification of, uh, masculine and feminine energy between Aisha and the, you know, the partner kissing. There's like uh, masculine energy is like the the outward projection, the phallus, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the outward penetrating energy that penetrates the world, like that goes outward. And feminine energy is often the inward energy, the receptive energy, mm-hmm. um, just in very broad strokes. So there's this there's this transformation of the outward to the inward. Like, as I'm thinking about this, like, typically I'm like, oh, our dreams reveal things about ourselves. But like, I'm also like, my stomach is turning, like how much this is resonating with me on the inside of just like, you know, tapped in and premonitions about me and my journey that I've been having, because we've been saying like, oh, we're going to get on the phone and discuss all this crazy shit that's been happening. Um, and you've been, you know, willing and ready to receive. And it's almost like your 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 subconscious like was just like, you know what, I'm just gonna take the straw and put it in her cup and we're gonna feel what's going on. Um, 
because that's totally what's what's been happening. Like I started this breathing exercise, which was to balance the masculine and feminine. And like when really spiritual people used to meet me, they used to be like, wow, like you you present so feminine, but your your energy is so masculine. You need to work on your feminine energy and your balance and um like feeling things and really like letting my emotions like come to the surface has been a thing I've really been working on. So like that is just, (laughs) Oh my God, what the hell? I like, I also like had this session the other week. So one of my mom's friends is like a Reiki therapist and like, Uh she like, uh, you know, identifies as like a little bit psychic. So she's very Uh like, she's all that energy. Anyway, I had a session with her on Monday um, just because I was trying to work out, what was going on with my vertigo and just the way my body was responding to everything was very different to my like rational mental state, you know, like it was like my body was expressing like a lot of like anxiety and like trauma. And I wasn't really like feeling that in my head. She's known me my whole life too. So that's the other thing. But she said, you know, you're a really empathetic person and you often feel what other people are experiencing. So like if somebody tells you that they're really, um, you know, like going through something emotionally, often you'll actually, like you're empathetic to the point that you'll feel that emotion. And so I think that's kind of what's been happening over the last few weeks because I've had some other people like projecting a little bit. Mm. But that's, but it's interesting in this context because it's like, it's like somehow my body sensed something. I don't know. It's so weird. Oh, I mean, I'm totally down and believe in all that shit. So (laughs) I'm like, oh, that's definitely what was happening. And what's so beautiful and interesting is that like, you know, typically these aren't things that like I would be willing to talk about with very many people. And as I've been trying to like open up about stuff um, and especially you guys, you know, I I, I basically submitted to like, we're going to be interconnected forever. (laughs) I'm like, you know, I definitely get off on the the phone with them and share with them some of the stuff that's been going on. And even, you know, in our in our text messages being very like forthright about what's happening, which is not something I would typically do. You know, I would tell you like, oh, I'm feeling something, but basically just be like, I'm handling this. And just the way you've been responding to me, I've been very like that she'd be willing to receive and like receive the totality of the things you know sometimes when people hear about rough backgrounds or hard upbringings or things like that you know it's kind of like they don't know how to handle it or they get really uncomfortable but I don't I don't gather that sense um at all whatsoever so I totally trust that you know when you say I want to talk about something you're not just like doing it to fluff feathers you're like actually willing and wanting to listen so I also, I also truly believe that, yes, you probably are soaking up and storing in your body a lot of other stuff uh, from other people around you. Yeah. I think it's also interesting to note that this is one of those rare moments in human society or at least modern society where we're all going through a very particular shared experience. Mm-hmm. And we've all literally been forced to go inward in the sense that we're all forced indoors, or at least many of us are forced indoors. Mm -hmm. The three of us in particular, you know, we're all fond of going out and, Mm -hmm. you know, we go to a lot of events. We socialize a lot. This, this quarantine, you know, this lockdown has really forced us all to sit in one place, allow us to, or I don't know if allow or force or what the word is, (laughs) but inviting inviting yeah. us <laughs> to go inward right yeah. to kind of deal with the inner, inner happenings mm-hmm. 
like the the shift from the outward masculine projecting into the universe energy to the inward reflection. I think many of us can probably relate to right now, given that image of of that that inward shift. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Aisha, I'm curious as well, like what did you said that like it was resonating, like your family almost was like unexpectedly like sprung on you and then you had to like cater or like serve food to them? Like like it, it felt like that resonated? Like what, what kind of came up? Well, it was more about how you were kind of like, oh, isn't she supposed to be like catering to her family, but still yet I'm in this like negligee, I'm kissing my trans partner, like that would maybe be considered in, in a Muslim culture to like not be the thing that you do. And this this notion of the uh, the banquet and the family, like it's, it's really interesting what you're saying about uh, like what, what you said, Aisha, the notion of catering to the family, literally like feeding, nourishing people, uh, all this food catering. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. So, like, you know, dreams often work in puns. So mm-hmm. it's like the notion of catering They're to your family. Dreams, and even when you were telling me that, like, about like, oh my god, I'm in lingerie in front of my parents. Like, ugh. The kind of <laughs> information that I'm trying to get through now is my whole life I've been dealing with, particularly my father not really accepting who I am. And so my my father is the person who is Muslim in my family, and anything that I ever was, anything that was natural to me was not accepted. It wasn't right. It wasn't real. It wasn't good. It's kind of like what I would aspire to do that like if my parents or my family just showed up somewhere and I was doing the thing that one, they would already know. And two, like either whether or not they're okay and accept it, um, that I would just keep doing my thing and not try to hide it and not be um, ashamed of it or try to excuse it um which is what's interesting about the black and white thing with the alchemy is like it could go either way it could be singed and burned and really crisp things or it could be this transformation into really realizing who i am and expressing the the truth of who i am wow (laughs) yeah yeah the binary outcome Mm -hmm. yeah multiple outcomes yeah, because like, you know how I said the scene cut? Like the sense that I got was that, yeah, you were like, you were always wearing that under the red cape mm-hmm. and then you took the red cape off and like revealed like a, you know, sexy, like negligee thing. So it's like, yeah, it's like it was always you. It was always like a part of you. It was always like on you. And then you just like actually just like, revealed it to the world. Mm-hmm. One one aspect could be those those are two alternative outcomes coming out charred versus coming out like this is whole and mean pure. Mm. Uh, or it's also just the notion that there are two coexisting selves. Mm. There's the, the white self that's presenting as outward shining projection, mm-hmm. but then there's also the shadow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Because the other person that Aisha was with, it wasn't totally clear who that was. And that was the black mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That freaks me out. <laughs> That's so interesting. What the hell? And and it's interesting that the the person that is the wearing the black is the person that you don't know. That's the mm-hmm. unknown. Mm, that's mm-hmm. true. Yeah, I didn't even think that was like that important part of the dream. I'm like, oh, and then there was a costume change. Next, like <laughs> this whole quarantine, I've been joking, like you know. We're, we're having a party in here and my shadow side is ruling it all. Like she's the DJ, she's the hype man. Like my shadow side is like, oh, you thought we were going to, you were going to be in here and like, wasn't going to be me and you. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> 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 and 
and also Lenny, because we did the the shadow, the monsters and shadows workshop. The Midori workshop, right? Yeah. Well, that was also the first time that we realized that we were both really into dreams. Yeah, that's true. I didn't tell you guys this yet, but the identity workshop, um, the thing that ended up coming out of that. What was the identity workshop? So the identity workshop I took was with uh, a man named Jamie Winship, and I am like totally full on a disciple. His whole thing is that knowing your true identity can actually get you out of life and death situations. And his were like extreme life and death situations. But his notion is that throughout your life, it is always a life and death situation knowing who you are, because if you get on the wrong path or you, you completely deny what your universal path is, then you end up in the same situations like a and and all kinds of stuff. And basically what you do is you go through this kind of meditation where you imagine love and um, you have a, a discourse with love. Love was this purple amorphous thing. I was in this giant theater that was red and gold and velvety. The thing that ended up coming out of that was me being like royalty and a queen I had this immediate backlash to myself, like, ew, I don't want to be that. No one wa- who wants to be queen? That's so self, like self-important and pompous. And how could you think that? He was kind of like, yeah, that's your false identity talking. You see how quickly you were to backlash yourself, even though like yeah. just you and your meditation and your mind. So like the grand hall and this like whole thing just is like very strange having gone through that. <laughs> I have so, so many thoughts. I can see your face. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm like, wow, what's, what's my actual identity and how is my false identity fighting? Cause I definitely feel that often where I'm like having some kind of internal conflict. Oh, that's so interesting. I want to like think about that more. So this notion of like identities, you know, like this is your dream and you're clearly, uh, you know, Aisha's vibing with it and feeling a lot of resonance presentations that we have around our family and uh, like the, the external presentation, you know, cause they're in the banquet hall. It's like, there's, this is a family event and let's not forget the more mundane sounding dream. The second dream where you're at a beer hall yeah. and, um, and there you're with coworkers and there's like a lack of um, clarity or there's a certain discomfort with like how much transparency how much openness you should have with your coworkers in front of your coworkers. So there's these two different spaces, literally there's one banquet hall and then one beer hall, two spaces in your, in your life, in your dream. Mm -hmm. Who are you in front of your family? Who are you in front of your coworkers? Mm. You know, like how do you present to the world? The coworkers are like, Oh, I didn't know that. And then you have this moment of like, Oh, uh, how much do I want to share? Yeah. Um, And this is something that I relate to because even in this idea of making this podcast, I'm like, okay, we're about to talk. We're talking about queer issues. We're talking about, you know, uh, open love and things like this. Like uh-huh. how much do, like, do I want to put my real name, my real identity on this? Because do I, do I feel confident enough to put this with, you know, I work, I work at a hospital, you know, in the daytime and there's a employment clause where it says I could be fired for unbecoming behavior, huh. you know? So, oh. um, you know, is this the kind of thing that would be construed as unbecoming behavior talking about, you know, this kind of, this kind of things, you Mm -hmm. know, what do I present to the world? You know, and I, you know, you just, Eleni, you just started a new job. So, you know, back at your old job, you were out to a lot of people, but now you're kind of starting again. Yeah. How do you proceed? You know, do you want to go through all the work? Those of us who can pass as heteronormative selectively omit parts of our lives or parts of our behavior and just kind of not 
risk pushback. Yeah. You know, these two different spaces in front of your family, in front of the coworkers, you know, how do you present to the world? And what is that, that process of transformation? You know, you kind of went through that process in, in, to a certain degree at your old work. You know, I know that you've kind of had conversations with your sister, mm. um, but I'm, you know, I don't think you've had these conversations with your parents about, I mean, I guess there's also the notion that, you know, you were open to your parents about non-monogamy, you know, and that was, of course, a lot of, got a lot of pushback from that. <laughs> I shine now the context, my parents are like really loving Brandon now. And like, I think maybe a part of it is like, they know that we're like, just locked up the two of us. We're not doing anything <laughs> to <have> naughty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they definitely were skeptical about me. Last year was tough. Mm-hmm. Um, last year was really hard. When I went to Australia, there was definitely some like, you know, we're just coming off like a certain wave of skepticism. But that in itself was a certain kind of transformation because now, you know, now now they're like totally on board. At least they seem like, seems like they're on board now. So, um, but at the same time, as you said, we're in lockdown and they know that they know that we can't be naughty. So. <laughs> they feel better about it. That has so much framing, which is so cool. Like you, the judgment that you had, you were like, oh, like, isn't this for her parents? And then you were in your... Yeah. Like even I had the judgment in the dream, right? right? You know, if this becomes a podcast that goes out into the world, you know, what's going to happen if our parents listen to this? Like (laughs) my parents listen to it, your parents listen to it. Like maybe they won't, maybe we won't be forwarding them a link. I don't know. So <laughs> these these are things that we're going to have to figure out as we go. Definitely. That was awesome. Thank you for sharing. Like it wasn't even my dream and there was so much resonance I had and like truth about it. And I didn't actually expect that either. Like I even had a moment where I was like, oh, is this even worth sharing? Like how interesting is like, like I was just going to be like, oh, you were in a red cape in my dream. Like that was about the extent of like how... But yeah, so much came out of it. Yeah, so much that we can all kind of relate to. Yeah. I'm just going to pour myself some water and then should we do another one? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what dream you want to talk about, Aisha? I'm going to talk about one I had the other day because like I actually cannot glean any insight from it. Sounds juicy. My father and I were in LA and there were a lot of like scenes where we were getting in and out of the car. We're in LA for the purpose of me getting married to some guy. However, in the dream, I would go in and out of being this robot that was built who actually happened to be blonde and then third party omniscient benevolent narrator of the dream which has actually never happened to me usually my dreams are always first person i think there's a lot of like influence from westworld and mindhunter in this dream so i'm supposed to be getting married to this guy and this guy is really rich and i can't tell if he is actually my creator like the robot's creator, or if he has like a piece of the information that I need. When I'm with him, I'm the third party narrator, but when I'm any other part of the dream, not with him, I'm the robot. We're at this like party and I realize that like he's actually a really nice 
person, but I still like within me, I'm like, it doesn't feel right. Like, I don't know if we should be getting married. It feels a little too soon. Am I actually choosing this? Am I programmed to do this? Is my dad telling me I have to do this? Like, what's like, I don't understand where this is coming from. But at the same time, when I tell this to my dad, my dad is okay with me not marrying him. And so I think that was most of the dream of just like in and out of scenes, there was like a scene by the ocean. A really like fancy party. <laughs> that was it. And I really can't glean much of it. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I don't know, I definitely see several different themes popping out at me, and I'm curious to bounce them off of you. Mm -hmm. There's this kind of juxtaposition of two different perspectives. There's the notion of when you're alone, you're the robot, mm -hmm. and you're in, you're in first person. But when you're with the rich guy that you're potentially going to marry, you're kind of like this third person observing yes. narrator. Mm -hmm. Those two positions are, sound really interesting because the notion of the robot use the word programming mm -hmm. like are you operating based on your free will or are you really just following some kind of programming P programming is always something that's put into you from the outside right mm -hmm. like a computer doesn't do anything unto itself um someone else has to program the computer right when you're with this man that you're potentially going to marry you're not inside of yourself you're in this third person observing mm -hmm. so there's this disembodied disconnection <laughs> And this notion of, is this just because this is what your father wants? Mm, mm -hmm. Which is kind of like the third big theme that I hear of. Your father says that you're, he's okay with you not marrying him, but you still feel like that's what you're there for. Mm -hmm. What are my feelings about marriage? Is this something that I actually want to do? Or is this just something that's being programmed into me from external sources, whether it's the culture or my family? You're talking about how this is uh, this is Westworld, you know, and what was the other TV show? Mindhunters? Mindhunter, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not familiar with that show, but... We would love this show. It's a, it's just, it's psychological, like, through and through. We receive messaging from a lot of different places, right? Mm -hmm. Especially about the notion of marriage. Mm -hmm. Messaging from our families. We get a lot of messaging from our culture. We get a lot of messaging from media, TV. And it, it becomes really hard to sort out is this something that I want or is this just something that's being programmed into me as a script that I'm behaving like a robot? Yeah. Yeah. That definitely hits. I've also been having these thoughts lately, which like I have not admitted to anyone else yet. So you two are getting <laughs> the first verbalization of this marriage and also having children. Like I have always thought for a very long time that I don't want to have kids and there's so many reasons for that. And now I'm getting to the point where I'm like, I, I don't know, like, was my fervent pushing away of that because I actually like have a huge fear of like fucking it up royally and thinking I'm not enough to do it? Like, you know, is my whole like orientation around marriage, like this one version and like, could it look really different? And like, you know, does it have to be that exact thing? So there's a lot of that that resonates. The same day that I had my first um, ego death, uh, my psychedelic trick where I had my first ego death, I was like getting a bunch of 
uh, food and stuff ready to take out to everyone. And, and as I was like, looking through all of this stuff and like recognizing how I was able to take this stuff from Mother Earth and nourish these other people with it like Mother Earth has been nourishing me. I just like had this thought. I like stopped chopping the apple and was like, do I want to be a mom? Immediately, my gut like just was like, ah, I don't know. I don't know if I, that's what I want. Marriage and, and motherhood, like they're all kind of wrapped up in the same narrative that I've been fed. It's all intertwined. So yeah. Oh my God, Aisha, this is fucking crazy because <laughs> when I got back from Australia, I literally had a session with my therapist. I have from like a pretty young age rejected things that are conventional. And like while I was in Australia, I was like, a lot of my friends are having kids and I was like, okay. I was like, maybe I'll change my mind, but I don't think it's for me. For so long, I've said no, and I've just rejected it and actually not really allowed myself to really like feel into that. How would I mother? Like, what would that look like for me? Is that something I actually want? What you were saying about the rebellion, like that hits for me too. I know it's not just because I want to do what, not what everyone else is doing. I kind of released a lot of that. And now I have these like very strong viewpoints about why not, but they're all rooted in me telling myself I'm not good enough in some way. Mm. I want to be real with myself and make sure it's not because of that. Maybe about six months ago or so, or maybe four or five months ago, I had this vision of being on this commune um, with, you know, a bunch of my friends where we're all, you know, intertwined in some way or another um, you know, with our relationships and our loves and everybody is very non-traditional and accepting of each other. And that I have a partner who is like my, a love life partner. And he has another partner that wants to really have a child. However it looks, it could be more people than just the three of us, but that that woman would be willing to co-parent with me. Are you saying that this is your your hypothetical ideal? Yes. A few months ago, before I like started dropping even further into the like, do I want to be a mother? Because part of my reason not, of not wanting to be a mother is like getting over the nature factor of which I know could play out with my genes. I guess I just don't want to not do it because of fear and then also not do it because that's the thing that my parents wanted me to do. <laughs> like I just, and, and for me, like marriage is included with that. Like if we, if we set the normative world aside, mm -hmm. what life would we want for ourselves if we, if we were to start from nothing, mm -hmm. you know, if we were able to let go of this pre-programming, you know, I've been talking with my therapist, dig deep and understand what do I actually want aside from the external pressures of family and society? What am I just, you know, binding with anxiety in terms of would I be a good parent? You know, would I um, be financially stable? You know, mm -hmm. would I get bored? <laughs> yeah. When I get bored, I so resonate with that. Would I get bored and just leave my child? Just be like, I'm sorry, you're boring. <laughs> like, let's be real here. You know, you, you have, you know, I, I get cranky. <laughs> like Eleni's seen me cranky <laughs> and like if I if I'm not sleeping and you know I'm putting in all this work and this thing's just crying and pooping am I gonna be cranky as fuck and unhappy or is it gonna be one of those things where it's like okay yeah this is worth it you know despite feeling like I'm paying $28,000 or $14,000 a year however much a kid costs yeah it's all questions yeah seriously I feel you 
I feel you. And like, as I'm still, I'm like trying to mend and heal the things about my parents raising me. Um, you know, I just feel like no matter what parents, like their jobs are to fuck up their kids. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. Cause that's actually also That is also a thing that comes up for me. I'm like, Oh, like you put in all this work and then the first few years they just like cry and throw tantrums and then like you might have a few good years and then they become teenagers and, and they, then hate they hate you. you. And then <laughs> and it's like all that fucking work and like, you know, you don't really, like I think about it and I like definitely wasn't great to my parents no. while I was a teenager. Oh and God, then terror. Yeah. And then we became close in my 20s, but I'm like, fuck, do I have to wait 20 years to have a good relationship with my kids? Like, is that, it's like, I feel like it's karma for like what I did to my parents. So I'm like, do I want to put that out in the world? Mm -hmm. When I was in Australia, that was really tough is like, it was when the bushfires were happening and I've already in the past few years been really struggling with like climate grief. And I was not in a good way. I was like, very affected by what was happening Mm -hmm. and uh I was also seeing my friends that were parents and how much more worried they were like Mm -hmm. having smoke outside Mm -hmm. with babies Mm -hmm. and I was like I just actually don't know if I can emotionally handle being that worried about Mm -hmm. a child like I don't know what's going to happen in the world I don't know if I can deal with my own anxiety let alone like having like a child to care for and worrying about their future. Like, I just don't know if I'm cut out for that. I, but what comes up for me there is I remember telling someone about my outlook of like, I don't know when I die, I just want to be like left out in the middle of nowhere because like nature, I took from nature and nature took, and I like try to give my little list, like little bit of last effort to like help the earth before like, you know, it totally goes to shit. And someone just stopped and they were just like, you don't plan on having children, do you? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like my outlook on like climate change and being like, you know, I do think that we should try, but I think we're fucked. Leaving something like needing a world for a child to run around in is like so much more daunting when you bring one into this world. Totally. Yeah. One thing that came up for me while we were talking about this and like regarding to our parents is I also really realized that there's this notion of arranged marriage in this dream. Mm-hmm. I grew up with the notion that arranged marriage could be a possibility for me. Less three cousins. I think all of my cousins had arranged marriages. And I'm wondering if some of my rebellion against it so hard was drawing my line in the sand to tell my dad, like, this is not going to fucking happen. Although he was like a rich white guy, which my dad would never choose. The other like aspect of like marriage in the culture that I have seen is that, you know, people don't really get divorced. My, some of my cousins have been in, in abusive relationships. Hell, my parents were in abusive relationships and my mom never divorced my dad, even though my mom has been divorced before. So it's like whoever I choose almost, I'm, I'm solidified with them for the rest of my life. And then even more so like the, the terrifying thought that it could be someone that my dad chooses for me. But then in this dream, I was like really considering it. Like at first it felt like I didn't have a choice. And then when I met him and felt like he was a really good guy and I think I was attracted to him and all these things, I was like, wait a second, maybe this could be a good idea. But then am I just doing what I'm told? And isn't this too soon? And like all this stuff. That's an extra layer in there. That presumed lack of choice. There's like the two sides of the coin where it's like, clearly there's rebellion against the lack of choice, Mm -hmm. but then there was the temptation of the simplicity. Mm -hmm. 
because it's like, oh, well, this person's actually not a bad guy. Like, should I go through with this? Like the notion that it was a rich white person, it's tempting like, oh, okay, like the the rich white male is supposed to be the, the uh, you know, in some ways that's the societal, um, you know, peak of it, of like uh, what the media will project as the ideal, right? Uh-huh. Or no, you were, you were blonde, right? So it's like this aspiration to rich white culture. Uh-huh. The blonde white woman marries rich blonde uh, white male and they live happily ever after. That's not real. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, that's not actually you. You're not a blonde robot. <laughs> um, Until we're think- talking about it now, it didn't even clue into me that like, yes, the robot was white. So me being a mixed person, I have a very easy time identifying with my whiteness and because my entire life I grew up identifying with that to fit in and assimilate in the culture that I grew up in, you know, Midwestern small town USA. I was like totally trying to assimilate to being white and, and identifying with my white heritage. And it's only really been within the last few years as I've like started to heal more of the relationship with my father and also like trying to be more proud of my, my uh, person of colorness um, that I've explored more of that, but like, it didn't even call out to me that she was the right white robot. Um, But it was that she was blonde, which is something that I have never identified with, never have wanted to be. But I think that there's a part of me too, that sometimes objectifies blondes. Um, But then also when I think about it, I have this like white wig that I wear, which is like my alter ego, my alter persona, um, when I want it to be. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> very interesting. Here I thought this dream was really nothing. I just, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I love about these conversations. You're like, wait a minute. I'm just revealing all of my deepest, darkest secrets. <laughs> what, what I really meant to say when I invited you to this was tell me all your secrets. Oh, I'm so down. I love sharing dreams. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on Let's Talk About Dreams. This episode was co-produced by Brandon Hogstead and Eleni Matteo. For more information, visit letstalkaboutdreams.com. You can find us on Instagram as LTA Dreams. If you're interested in having your own dreams interpreted, I also do private sessions. You can send inquiries to podcastltad at gmail.com. That's the word podcast and the letters L-T-A-D at gmail.com. Thank you.